I'm Chris Lefebvre, and you're listening to The Vonnegutcast, a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library on WQRT 99.1 FM, Indianapolis. In 1922, Kurt Vonnegut was welcomed to Earth. Over his 84 years, he became a beloved writer, known for his unflinching look at the world and an outspoken voice for free speech and common decency. Known for his unique sardonic style, Vonnegut published 14 novels, three collections of short stories, five plays, and five works of nonfiction. In 2022, the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library are celebrating Vonnegut's 100th birthday. Join us as we explore the ways Vonnegut's legacy has shaped the lives of others and continues to make souls grow. From the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library, this is the Vonnegutcast. 2022 is the year of Vonnegut at 100, a century of stories. The Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library has a full year of programs and events celebrating the life, work, and legacy of Kurt Vonnegut. Registration for our 11th annual Teaching Vonnegut Workshop Series this July is now open. Led by experts in their fields and Vonnegut scholars, workshops aim to enhance both public and educator knowledge on a variety of topics related to the works, interests, and philosophy of Kurt Vonnegut. Register today at kvml.org. Band Books Week 2022 will be unlike any other. This week is dedicated to programming, raising awareness about the censorship and banning of art and books. We will also welcome KVML artists and residents who will be living in the museum to participate in an anti-censorship experiment. An ensemble of singers, songwriters, and musicians will write, rehearse, and perform an album of songs inspired by Vonnegut, and you will have the chance to pitch in. Stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials at Vonnegut Library for upcoming announcements about Band Books Week, Vonnegut Fest, and the rest of our 2022 events and programs. Hello and welcome to the Vonicast. I'm your host, Chris Lefave. Today we are thrilled to have Kevin Finch and Robert Montgomery here with us. Robert is the youngest son of legendary Indianapolis guitarist Wes Montgomery, considered one of the greatest guitar players to ever live, whose centennial birthday occurs next year in 2023, coinciding with the release of a documentary film that Kevin Finch and his company Jukeboxer Productions is working on currently. We have a background with Mr. Finch, of course. He produced the documentary, A Writer's Roots, Kurt Vonnegut's Indianapolis. So with that in mind, I'm looking forward to digging into both films and the roots of two of Indy's favorite sons. Thank you both for being with us today. Robert and Kevin, how are you doing? We're doing well. Glad to be here, and thanks for uh, asking me. Absolutely. Kevin, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. This is great. You know, it's interesting that both of those guys are born only about three months apart to these two Hoosier legends you're talking about, Vonnegut and, and Wes are just a few months apart. Yeah, that was, they were, uh, they were very close in birthday for sure. Um, so the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library is located at 543 Indiana Avenue, which is located right in the heart of the city's historic jazz district. Kurt Vonnegut, of course, remarked on multiple occasions about his lifelong love of jazz about discovering it in Indianapolis and how it made his life considerably better during the Great Depression. So I'd like to discuss for a bit the phenomenal irony between two men, 
born approximately three to four months apart. The museum located in a neighborhood that West Montgomery played nightly for years. And the additional irony that Robert, you grew up in Butler Tarkington, not even a mile from Kurt Vonnegut's childhood home. That's a whole lot of coincidence, or as Kurt would call it, a carass, for instance, a mm -hmm. group of people who uh, do God's will without ever discovering what they are doing. <laughs> Robert, this question is for you. Can you go into some detail as to how your interest in this film project came about? Yeah, I started, oh, man, 10 years, maybe 10 years ago. I went with a, a gentleman that things didn't work out. Oh, we tried, but it didn't work out. I sat on it for a moment. Then I went back again, tried it again. Same thing, had to sit on it again. And then I met um, Lloyd Wright. And um, we tried with WFYI at one time, me and my uh, attorney, Robert Midas. And they have so much on the plate. So we just could not bring things together. So again, you know, we sat on it. And then I get a call from Kevin Finch, who said that Lloyd gave him the information. So me and Kevin met for probably about a year, just off and on talking, getting to know each other. And then I knew, you know, Kevin really was the person that could actually do it. You know, I reached out to Spike Lee. I didn't get a response, but I, you know, didn't really expect to either. But Kevin, to me, this wasn't something that um, you find people and it's something they want to do. For me, Kevin was chosen just for just for this. I don't think anybody else could have done it. Well, that is beautiful. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Kevin, same question. How did you get into the music of West Montgomery? Well, I'm still back on the Spike Lee part going, Kevin Finch, Spike Lee, Spike Lee, Kevin Finch. You know, I mean, they're really, they're practically <laughs> interchangeable, you know, in terms of success. <laughs> Uh, no, I, uh, the, the motto or slogan for Jukeboxer uh, Productions is telling untold stories. And I was wrapping up, uh, oh, you, but you were asking, I'm sorry about his music. Oh, I, I've listened to, to West Montgomery music before I even moved to Indianapolis. I moved to Indianapolis in 1990. And so for me, it was, oh, Wes, this guy I've already heard of is from here. How cool is that? And then uh, a lot of other guys I, I had been listening to since my high school jazz band director turned me on to a, a great Quincy Jones record that had Freddie Hubbard on it and J.J. Johnson on it and all these oh, amazing man. people. It's, it's like, what, they're all from here? you got to be kidding. So I, I you know, started listening to, to Wes and to jazz guitar. In the, in the, it goes back to the 70s. So, um, so it, all it was with Indianapolis was, wow, this is, this is home. This is so cool. And I was a little surprised moving forward, you know, thinking about the documentary that, I mean, nobody's done this yet. You know, I, I was just looking for a, a new project and I, I was surprised. NPR did a wonderful radio documentary hosted by the late Nancy Wilson. But I kept looking and looking and looking on YouTube, look, you know, looking it up on you know, nobody's done this. So that's when I started asking around and got in contact with Robert. I, I'm, I'm truly astounded by that fact, but it, it, it rings very true. When I was at Ball State University, uh, we had a wonderful library full of CDs and I was getting super into jazz myself. Uh, I wasn't hip to J.J. Johnson, but but Wes Montgomery and Freddie Hubbard were, you know, staples of my diet. So to move back to Indianapolis for grad school in 2009 
and be like 27 years old and, and look at that mural that they had as part of the Super Bowl and go, you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How am I just now taking in this information? That's, uh, that's truly unbelievable. Well, uh, Kevin, I'm going to give you a moment to answer the, the original question because uh, I, I should have asked, what, uh, how did your interest in this film project come about? Well, as I, I mentioned that it was, it was, I was looking for a new project and it, and it, it started to become a crusade. You've got to be kidding. This hasn't been done yet. Why hasn't this been done yet? I'll take it up. And then if, you know, somebody else comes along who's, you know, I learn his further along then I, you know, I'll just back out, you know, but as long as it's getting done, please tell me this is, is getting done. Uh, and so I connect with Robert, uh, gosh, 2018. And, you know, we had, as he's mentioned, a series of conversations before we put pen to paper or anything like that to, uh, that we both agreed that this was an important thing. It should have been done a while ago. And, and now we're going to, you know, sort of make up for lost time and, and make it happen. Excellent. Uh, Robert, and then Kevin, this is kind of for both of you. What is involved in making a documentary? West Montgomery is famous all over the world. I suspect on some level, it's been easy to get various guitar players to go on record to talk about his influence. Can you name a few and go into details as to what that means? Or am I overstepping the, uh, the ease of that? I, well, sorry. I, I watched. I watched the preview. I saw Pat Metheny. I finally saw the preview. I saw Pat Metheny, who is a famously big West Montgomery fan, being very expressive about the influence of your father. It's not as easy as you think. <laughs> it is not as easy as you think. Some guys are busy, and you know, honestly, some some weren't interested at all. So, but you know. The, the gentlemen that we have, we have Pat Muffini. Yeah. We have George Benson, uh, Lee Rittenauer. Um, we're some gonna, extremely we're, big names. Yeah, we're going to hold some <laughs> of the stuff back. But yeah, those guys uh, were really um, amazing at their stories. Yeah. And how they came about with music in general. And I just was overwhelmed by their the things they would say and their how they were emotionally attached because of course I'm emotionally attached but when you see somebody else that their eyes water when they speak of it or they tell you a story about something that happened then uh it really draws you in closer finding out uh, that my dad was relevant because I was not a fan of my dad's that you know he's my dad come on (laughs) you know so yeah i think i think that's really common i mean you know music's a deeply deeply expressive and sometimes emotional art form um having hung out with musicians all the way through my 20s i i I do remember when the conversation about that that's that's what the root of my question was about was i i knew from listening to musicians talk that all we ever talk about is our influences and we talk about it emotionally and for hours on end. But, you know, I did meet a musician once who, you know, claimed to not have influences and that was the creepiest conversation I've ever had. Sure. Um, uh, Kevin, (laughs) if you want to go into some detail as well about just kind of the process of making a documentary. Sure. Um, Robert's right about that. Not everybody wanted to play, but many did. And the key was always getting past the palace guard. Okay especially older musicians, not someone who's in their 20s and it's their first 
you know, their first tour and we got a record deal. Yeah, I want to talk about me all the time. Let's just talk about me. When they're older and going, yeah, do I have to talk about this tour? Do I have to talk about my latest record? Well, the record company says I have to. And they'd rather not. And so if you can get past their management, get past the agents and all that kind of stuff and, and get a message to the actual musicians, they're going, I get to talk about Wes? Oh, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about, y'all. that'd be great. And then I can avoid having to talk about the same boring stuff I usually have to talk about. So that part, if I get it to them, if it, if it leaks past the guard, then yeah, then it's almost a slam dunk. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. We'll do it. Where, where it usually jams up is long before you get there. So Robert mentioned, you know, some of the people we have in this and we have a mix of local musicians, uh, Indianapolis area musicians who are still carrying the torch for jazz in, in the area, as well as these internationally famous musicians, as well as people who used to pay, play here as, and even, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Ferez Witted is not a guitar player, but why did we talk to Ferez Witted? Well, because he's part of the Hampton family. You know, there's the Montgomery family in terms of great jazz out of Indianapolis, and there's the Hampton family. That would include the Hampton sisters. Uh, that would include um, Slide Hampton, the great trombonist who actually ended up teaching at Harvard, uh, and all from Indianapolis. And Ferez, uh, you know, is part of that family. Uh, his mother was Virtue Hampton. And um, he crossed over himself and played some pop for a while. He recorded and even toured with John Mellencamp. And that screaming, intense trumpet solo on uh, one of John's hits uh, several years ago, um, was that was Ferez Witt. And uh, so, you know, when you have a network and you kind of can get in through the back door and talk to people like that, that they're all on board. They want to talk about the heritage of Indianapolis uh, and, and its contributions to music. They want to talk about anything like that. And the international people like, like uh, Benson and Matheny and others we talked to, they're, you know, they're totally into it. You know, Robert will remember this because, you know, Robert alluded to the fact that he's, you know, he didn't become a fan of his dad till later, you know, because he was his dad, you know, but he was all jazzed, pardon the pun, about oh. meeting Pat Metheny. And we could barely get Pat Metheny to stop talking <laughs> after two hours. He just did not want to stop. Pat Metheny owns probably the second to the last guitar that Wes Montgomery ever played. And he had it out there for us to look at and he didn't want to touch it. <laughs> you know, it's like a holy relic, you know, I mean, it's, Oh, look at it. You know, don't touch it. You know, that sort of thing. And so these, that's a big part of the story, but you asked about the documentary process. There has to be, how, how, how am I going to tell the narrative? And I caught on early on with Robert. Robert was a six-year-old little boy when his father died. And so how, how much do you know about your parent from the, in your memory from the first six years? And so what George Benson could tell Robert about his father that Robert didn't know, that's huge. And so that became the thing. And I asked Robert to take on this role as the conversation leader, not, not an interviewer, not in a traditional sense. Have a conversation with these people and they'll tell you stories about your dad. Lee Rittenauer was the first one we got 
and he was, you know, he, we, he was warming up for a show. So he's just sitting there absently playing his guitar, just kind of doing these little warm up exercises and saying, you know, saying, looking right at Robert saying, well, there's BB King for blues. There's Andre Segovia for classical. There's Jimi Hendrix for rock and roll. And there's your dad for jazz. Boom. You know, that's it. So that's the kind that's, of stuff we were. That's really absolutely get. beautiful. I'm assuming you spoke to some people who had some pretty uh, vibrant memories of Indiana Avenue being this insane musical place where you could see live music in seven to ten or whatever. I, I, I always wonder, like you meet people who say there were a hundred clubs and you're like, is that even physically, geographically possible? Um, but it, it, it definitely was a place where there was a lot of culture and the arts and humanities were a place of where were a subject of prime importance. I'm assuming that's in the film as well, to a certain degree. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, when I I look back on that, they were at our house at a certain age. So I seen those people and they were just people, you know, just moving around. But you know, the avenue, it's it's the funniest thing. Everybody knows about. Indiana and all that we've uh, given to the arts except Indiana you know it's 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 funny because we we don't you know Indiana Avenue was huge and it still is in the memories and hearts of those that that know about it and the jazz scene and it's funny that we don't have anything there to show that it was there uh, Madam C.J. Walker is about the only monument that shows us how vibrant uh, that place was. Well, with the huge rehab they're doing, I would I would hope that with the Indie Jazz Fest and stuff along those lines, they'll probably be drawing some big acts there. I would I would hope, and and to get the local musicians. Kevin Kevin is correct about uh, we just have so many tremendous local talented players. Um, especially in the downtown area. I mean, the chatterbox is just hopping every night and there's no, like, you you know, everybody passes a hat and that money goes to the musicians. I mean, that's a beautiful setup right there. And you can't forget the jazz kitchen too. That's the other thing. And, you know, Rob Dixon is is in the film and, uh, and he is a, a major player uh, in uh, local jazz circles. And, and then, uh, you know, we have some, uh, some older folks, uh, uh, Robert remembers uh, Larry Ridley, uh, who was a bass player, and Larry learned to play bass from Robert's Uncle Monk. Or he wouldn't call him, Robert wouldn't call him Uncle Monk, but that's a whole other story. But, um, no. you know, that's, Larry Ridley said, you know, that your, your uncle taught me how to play bass, you know. So, uh, so there are rich stories. But the difference is, and we do get into this, I, you know, how much, you know, we have to cram a lot into this film, but, um Indiana Avenue is different from Bourbon Street, Beale Street, and 12th and Pine in Kansas City, which is, it's mostly gone. And those places remain. And we'll get into why that is, uh, that there's, you know, it's just a lot of concrete and uh, empty sections of, of the avenue compared to these, you know, places Beale Street and Memphis is still hopping. Yeah, that have largely been you preserved. Know, right. I wanted to make a note for our listeners out there. Uh, in the beginning of Wes Montgomery's career as a guitar player, he he would jam with his brothers, Buddy and Muck. Did I get that correct off the top of my head? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, Kevin says you would not have called your uncle Monk. What was uh, what was his proper name? <laughs> I wouldn't have a head. <laughs> so his actual name was William. Okay, but we called him B- Uncle Bill. Okay, so you didn't call him Willie either. He was he was uncle. no 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 no. I could, but you know it's it's funny because they they instill that in you. So I I wouldn't call Mister Benson George. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I would have gotten away with calling my mother Jane either. That that, yeah, would, have, that so. would have been a major problem. Um, so that this was uh, this is something I was looking forward to getting into. Actually, your father was famous for you know he he would work a day job that you know I, I struggled to get out of bed by eight a.m. So I can only imagine how your father would play these gigs until three o'clock in the morning and then have to get up. I don't even want to know. And go to a factory job or, or, or what he did day wise. I think he had several jobs. Can you weigh in on that at all? Well, I think he was driven more more than anything. It's just driven. I, I do understand the not sleeping. I don't sleep much. My mother didn't sleep much. Okay, because I that's what I was getting to. There's levels of drive. You know, you yeah. can you can sleep eight hours a night and still be fundamentally hardworking. <laughs> yeah. He just uh, okay. So his routine was so he was a welder. Yeah. By trade. So he would get up, work, come home, eat, fool around, practice a little bit, get ready to head out. He would go play, come home, maybe an hour or two. Mother would cook him breakfast, off to work. This was his routine. Holy moly. I, I was able to do that in my younger twenties. I I don't think that I don't think it's coming back. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. But 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 I don't sleep much either. But I, I I understood it because it's who he was. Um, he was he was such this dedicated man to our family and his music. He was dedicated. I mean, beyond you know, some they practice, they practice. He was a perfectionist. It was never good enough. So. Yeah, you can you can tell that from um, what was that the album um, the album that I have is called Full House, oh, and he yeah. and he borrowed Miles Davis's band for the night, and evidently Miles wasn't too pleased about it, and so he had them to rehearse for like ten seconds, and it is the most perfect live album you'll ever hear in your life. Yeah. The energy of the solos is off the charts, um, and I and I'm just astounded by that. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to get back to that because I want to ask about the fact that your father was self-taught. But, Kevin, I did want to ask you about kind of how your connection with us. Uh, you re- you made a Kurt Vonnegut documentary in uh, 2015. It debuted uh, um, December 28th of 15, so basically 16, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, can you go into a little bit of detail about how that came to be? Well, a similar kind of thing. I actually envisioned at first not even a documentary, but sort of like a video tour for tourists and locals alike. And Robert and I share this same conviction about the city and the people of you know, central Indiana not really appreciating the success stories that have come out of here as much as they should. And so when it stopped just being a video tour in my mind, like this is a landmark where, you know, where Kurt's grandfather built this building, or this is a landmark, whatever. This that's, instead of just being that, but an actual documentary. When when I started shifting towards that, the image I had in my mind was grabbing 
the average Hoosier by the lapels and holding and them gripping and say, pay attention. This guy was big time. Do you realize he's from your area? Do you realize how regarded he is around the world? And of course I could insert Wes and do the exact same thing. It's the same kind of concept. And so, so at first um, it was, my audience was only Indiana. Wake up, check this guy out. If you are not familiar with him, you, if you manage to skirt through high school and not read his stuff, you know, now's your chance to catch up. And then it kind of evolved and, you know, it had more of a life than that and ended up being distributed through American public television around, around the country. My only regret there is, is that if, if you recall that the, the whole name of the film is Writer's Roots, colon, Kurt Vonnegut's Indianapolis. If I had changed that for national distribution to Kurt Vonnegut's hometown, I think it would have played better and even hit more, more television markets. It's, it still reached more than half the country, but I think it could have even done better for the four public stations that were trying to not sound like it was uh, uh, being parochial or anything like that. But um, I wanted to tell the Vonnegut story. I knew that there was some, some talk of some national thing, which of course has turned out to be a huge uh, documentary. Um, but at the time there was nothing out there. Uh, he died in 07. I started bugging WFYI in 2009, kind of whispering, say, Hey, you know, you, you, we got it. Somebody's got to do this. It doesn't have to be me. Somebody's got to do this. And then in 2014, I got a call from Clayton Taylor and he said, I think we've got enough funding together. Do you still want to do it? And I took my submarine documentary put it on a shelf and said, let's go. And then he said, oh, by the way, can you do this in less than a year? Because we'd, we'd like to run it at the end of 2015. <laughs> and so we did. Uh, so it worked out. But that's, that's why I was just passionate that people ought to know about this guy, you know, uh, that the connection. And so there's a, an entire, I organized the documentary into chapters. So there's an entire chapter because he was a writer. So yeah, chapters. Entire chapter just about his Hoosier roots and his German background, just to kind of say, look at this, you know, his grandfather, his great grandfather, you know, all of these, these uh, interesting connections and that kind of stuff, and then get into more about the man himself and everything. I like that we're talking about the the depth of stories. I, I always tell people when they when they come to visit and they and they say, "Oh my God, Kurt Vonnegut lives such a life." It's like everybody on the in the world lives such a life. It's just a question of whether you tell the story or whether your story is never told. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I'm really glad that you guys are telling West Montgomery's story. I I, I want to come back to uh, Robert saying that's just who he was. One of the most fascinating things is that people are astounded at how innovative your father was. And he was entirely self-taught. He couldn't read music. Like, that's correct. That's quite a subject matter right there. Hmm. Um, considering people are studying him, he, he invented himself to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, so he was self-taught. Well, his whole family was that way. They were all self-taught. None of them really had any schooling, learned how to read. He never learned how to read or write. He just knew it. And, you know, it's, the funny thing to me is you have some, and I've, I've talked to them, that they won't accept that. He just had to have something. <laughs> they had to show him something. Because he. there's times where he's showing people and he's telling them about different notes and scales to use 
to have the sound that he's looking for so that they can play. And they're like, there's no way he could know that. Well, why not? (laughs) So, you know. I I imagine that must be really challenging, though, if you spend a million years in music school only to be schooled by someone. (laughs) Yeah. You know what's hard? You know what's harder? What? Sitting in my seat. That's harder than anything um, than anybody else can. I don't care how great a musician you are. Sit in the seat. um, Wes Montgomery's son sitting in his seat like you pick a guitar up. And if the note doesn't come out right, yeah, I knew he could have, I knew he wasn't going to be as good as dad. Just no way, no way it wasn't going to happen, you know? And um, so that's, uh, when you look at it that way, you find that he's often imitated, but Wes is never duplicated. I listened to Pat Muffini, who I loved first. Yeah. And at 12, I listened to George Benson, and I loved Lee Rittenauer, Captain Fingers, my sister introduced me to him. And these guys were awesome. When I got about 18 or 19, I listened to Wes for the first time. Amazed. So I went back, listened to it again. It's like, Mom, Daddy could really play, couldn't he? (laughs) And I'll say here, these were her exact words. You blockhead, of course he could. And so, you know, I became the fan. So I tried it, and um, I realized for myself that I could never be that good. There's only going to be one West. I don't care how far or how close the seed fell from the tree. No one could ever uh, be West Montgomery, not even his son. So I decided I put his shoes on the shelf. And I enjoyed him like every other fan. You know, I just watched him. That's a very nice thing. I, um, I'm i really looking forward to watching. Sorry, I'm a, I'm a very big fan of your dad, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to watching this myself. I, when uh, Kevin mentioned Larry Ridley, I was immediately like, oh, I've got a million records that that guy plays yeah. on. We should talk about him, too. Wes Montgomery once shared a stage with the legendary John Coltrane in 1961, Mark Vonnegut's personal hero that Kurt referenced a few times. Are we ever going to hear a proper recording of that show? Yeah. Hey, that's hey, for Kevin, both of you. <laughs> you know, yeah. if anybody could find it, if it's out there, it would be Zev Feldman. Yeah, for our, visit, for our listeners who might not know who the legendary Zev Feldman is. Okay, so Zev Feldman is probably one of the number one historians of jazz. I mean, this guy is like a walking encyclopedia. All you have to do is mention a name and he can give you the history. He can tell you everything to complete detail. It's like he's there when they were born and he's followed them all the way through. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's an amazing guy. I met Zev. So he did, they, Resno Records released, uh, we released Echoes of Indiana. Hadn't heard any of my dad's music in, in years. It was just what was already released. So somebody had a recording at Blue Note. Um and they and Zev got a hold of it. And so Zev gave me a call. I remember I'm sitting in my my mom's backyard. And I get this call and he says, Hey Robert, this is Zev Feldman. He's, we started talking, so we have this two hour conversation. 
And then just like with Kevin, you know, you get to know him and then we we decided to go forward with it. Zeb knew so much about my father. Like, you know more about him than I do. Tell me, you, you know what I'm saying? Just He just knew so much. <laughs> and we we got together, put that, that CD together. Awesome. And this was music before my dad went to the label. So as they would say, raw jazz. Yeah, it was pretty profound. It really was. And so that's where I met Zevet. And uh, he's become a good friend. And we've released quite a few CDs. The last one was uh, my dad in Paris, the Paris recording. Very nice. Oh, man. Let me, if if you don't mind, let me inject just a minute here, Chris. Besides the fact that he's he's a great historian, he's co-president of this label, Resonance Records, and he's known in the industry as the Indiana Jones of undiscovered jazz recordings. And so that's that's beautiful. I would love to have that on my headstone. Yeah. When time comes to the so you know, it's it's the kind of thing where he discovered stuff on his own at first, and then people started saying, "Hey, I found this. I dust off, dusted off this acetate. You want to see what it is?" You know. So they got to the point where then people are now coming to him saying, "I think I have something. I think it might be of value." And so these are not authorized, you know, or formal studio recordings. They may have been recorded in a live venue situation. They may have been recorded in somebody's backyard, whatever. And he discovers these things and then turns them into an album or CD release, that sort of thing. And he's done that with several West Montgomery recordings. So Robert's point is well taken, which is if anybody had, you know, even a mono open reel recorder around uh, Coltrane and Wes, and it surfaces, you know, that that Zev is likely to be the one to uh, to present it to people. But otherwise, right now, what we can say is there is no recording known to exist. But you're asking about a really important moment, I think, in the history of jazz guitar right there. OK, because. You know, the story is that Train said to Wes, you know, love to have you be a permanent part of my band. And Wes said, uh, that's some version of that's great. Thank you very much. Cause he's always a very polite guy. He was always pretty low key and everything that I've seen, read, heard all that. Um, but you know, in the nicest way possible, he said, no. And if you think about it, jazz has always been a horn idiom. It's always been about Louis Armstrong's trumpet or, a more recent version of that or Bix Spiderbeck's cornet or, you know, or it's been about Coltrane's or Cannonball Adderley's or somebody's saxophone, you know, and if you were to just do a little icon, like for a computer thing where you're listing music types, you know, classical, it would show a violin jazz. It would show a, tr- a trumpet or a saxophone. What's this guitar doing here? And who has the audacity to turn down John Coltrane uh, because he's got his own band and he's, you know, he's recording on his own. So that's that's what I think is this moment here. And I'm going to I hope to hit that uh, in the film. It's like, no, no, you, you know, he should have been honored to be in Coltrane's band and be the side man. But no, he's going to be the front man of his own band. So that's I think that's a, that's part of what's so significant about that. 
Well, I would have sure loved to have been a fly on the wall in that conversation. <laughs> My God. Um, okay, so let's see. Um, Robert, you are the youngest of seven kids, correct? Correct. That is a household. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. And so... I'm way down there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, I mean, what, what years was it? Because, I mean, it was many, many years of him, like, playing gigs when he could. So can you kind of run us through like how long it was that he was having to work, raise a family and play guitar when he could versus when music took over from being a welder? Or... Okay. So the music took over before I was around. Yeah. So we're getting the... <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's how much he is the baby right yeah, there. <laughs> he, I guess in the, about the mid fifties, late fifties, he was, gotcha. he was already there. Um, I came around in 62 and he was well to do. And you know, here was one of the things that was shared uh, in the doc. Kevin, it's okay for me to, to mention. Yeah, go for it, man. Go for it. So we had this porch and my dad took the porch and made it into a music room. And that's where he played at, at French doors. And when he went back and shut those doors, <laughs> We were not allowed to go that direction. <laughs> <laughs> we could not go that direction. He would be there hours. And, um, you know, he would go take us out. We'd go out and eat or whatever. We didn't go out and eat a lot because my mother was a fantastic cook. So it was always food. Yeah. But when we did or we'd go shopping, he'd take us out driving or something. He would come back and go right in that room, shut those doors start playing and this this is this is how it was this was it was our life there i can re recall this time so i'm sleeping with him and my mom i'm in between them and i remember him getting up getting dressed grabbed his axe he said "Breen, i'll see you when i get back he said okay west and he went out and and i remember that just as clear as i'm telling you because i didn't get to sleep in the room with him that wasn't something that happened all the time yeah. But that particular day, I remembered that. Yeah, there was a lot of fine times with him leaving. But like I said, those guys would come in and they'd just be everywhere laughing, talking, playing cards. He really loved playing cards, so they'd be playing cards. Then they'd go play. Yeah, that, that went on from when I was born, when I knew. So I'd say 66 to 68 were, were my years. That you recall, yeah. That, yeah, that I recall anything before then, you know. I remember him taking me back. I didn't have a tricycle. I had this boat. It was a paddle boat. It's white, red wheels, little bell on the back. And he, well, the first time I went in our, we had an alley. And I went in our alley and he let me ride down. And it's funny because he didn't teach me how to ride a bike. My Uncle Bill did. What you call Monk. Yeah. Yeah, he taught me how to ride a bike. Holy moly. This is such a wonderful subject matter because, again, you two are taking on a subject matter that hasn't been properly explored in any kind of medium to a certain degree. So you're you're heading into uncharted territory here. And so I've been kind of interviewing you along with the subject matter. Um, so this is uh, this is the silly part of the podcast. Um, 
it is time for one of our favorite segments, the speed round. This round will consist of 10 rapid fire questions. We will alternate Vonnegut questions with general questions. Say the first thing that comes into your mind. Uh, Kevin, uh, let's go in alphabetical order. We'll do Kevin, Robert. Uh, are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Your all-time favorite album. Oh, I don't know. Uh, yes, Songs by Yes. Yes, album yes Songs by Yes. Okay. Yeah. Day in the Life, Wes Montgomery. Ah, excellent. Excellent. This uh many, many wonderful Beatles covers on there. Uh, Eleanor Rigby's a, a great one, too. Uh, Indianapolis has a great pizza restaurant called Futuro that recently debuted their chili cheese dog pizza. What's the most unique pizza that either of you enjoy? I love Basbo's uh, um, uh, Quattro Formaggio. It's probably about my favorite. Ooh, I've never tried that one before. I don't, I don't, well, it would be Jack's from years ago, but... Can you find a Jax? No, but Jax was my favorite and still is. Very nice. my favorite pizza. Were there unique toppings on that, or was it just a good old you pepperoni? could get a, you could get around the world um, without anchovies, of course. <laughs> but yeah, excellent, excellent. Around the world sounds terrifying. <laughs> that's, that's too open-minded on pizza, right there. Um, what is your all-time favorite film? What would that be? Casablanca for me. No kidding. That's a good one. Bullet. Steve McQueen. Ah, great, great, oh. great film. Great very film. nice, very nice. What is your favorite thing about Indianapolis? It's a family town. You know, no matter how successful you are here, you can walk down the street. You can go to the store. You know, you can speak with your neighbors. Uh, you can't do that everywhere. I've noticed that having kids of my own, that, that Rocky Ripple has just been, the, the family nature of living here has been truly amazing. You live in Rocky Ripple? Yeah, I live in Rocky Ripple. Wow. So I'm, yeah, I'm basically <laughs> Wes's neighbor, but it's uh, that was that was truly insane. I, I used to live in Chicago, and I, yeah. I, I understand what you mean about how you can go your whole life without ever having come close to meeting your neighbors versus yeah. seeing them frequently. Kevin, what's your take? Um. I would say downtown since 1995. That's awesome. my favorite part of Indianapolis. The explosion of restaurants, things to do, the how alive it is, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, Victory Field, man. Chatterbox, all that stuff. Great stuff. Uh, while I'm on the subject of favorites, do you have a favorite novel or novelist other than Vonnegut? Yeah. Uh, Anton, Anton Myrer, uh, a book called Once an Eagle. He, he was a... He was a uh, a Marine combat veteran of World War II, and he wrote this book about a protagonist who started in the 1916 Mexican border skirmishes and followed his maverick career all the way through to what he doesn't call Vietnam, but it was basically Vietnam. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great compelling novel. So that's, and it's interesting. What what is it? You know, for, it's another veteran of World War II writing and writing a novel. So, outside of Vonnegut, that that'd be my go-to right there. Gotcha. Mine be the Bible in any version. Excellent. Yeah, that that would be mine. No book like it. No book like it. I tell you, that's true. I don't have the cre <laughs> I don't have the creative stamina to come up with that. Uh, favorite Montgomery track. Day in a life. <laughs> Day in a life is it, man. I'm telling you. God, I'm gonna have to listen love to that. that on the way home. Well, I don't know. I uh, I. I kind of wanted to default to West Coast blues. Um, I love uh, four on six. 
Um, gosh, there's just there's Tons. actually a, there's a there's a, a song he wrote called Serene, and I didn't know I I was familiar, I'd heard of the song, and I'm going, oh, that's a nice name for a song. I didn't know that was his wife's name. I, I'd heard the song before nice. I knew anything about. Wes's family go, Oh, that's kind of cool. Serene. No, that's Serene's his wife. You know, it was, that's a, that's a, and it's a cool song too. Beautiful song. Nice. For me, it's a full house into I've grown accustomed to her face because mm -hmm. the dichotomy between the really, really groovy and fast full yeah. house towards uh, Wes Montgomery, of course, famous for playing the guitar with his thumb. He would not only do these lightning fast licks with his thumb, but he would play these fat, thick-sounding chords that would just reverberate through your brain. Um, the ballad that's track number two on the album Full House is just unforgettable. Kurt was appreciated the world over for the advice that he gave in not only his writing, but in his classes, speeches, and letters. Robert and Kevin, what's your advice for the young people of 2022? We're going to start with Robert. Uh, don't get caught up in social media. Start off there. Oh dear Lord, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, that. I got a three, I got a four-year-old and a ten-year-old. You're telling me it was something my mother used to say to me all the time. You got your own head, use it. Don't let anybody else use your head. Um, and they say the sky's the limit, and I and I believe that. But find out what you're good at, not what everybody thinks you should do, or what the world tells you to do. But find out your purpose, and then go after it. And make sure compassion and love are in your heart because it's it's the evil out. Yeah, it's pretty bad. You can't do much without those two. No. Kevin? Well, I liked Roberts a lot. I think yeah, was, I was going to say. <laughs> that, was, that was excellent. I, I won't uh, try to, to one-up that at all. I, I just agree with all of it. And then you know, bringing it back home to Kurt, I would say his advice through the, the voice of uh, – uh, Mr. Rosewater, Elliot Rosewater, uh, where he goes to meet the twins and t tells the babies, welcome to earth. You have about a hundred years and here's what you need to do. You need to be kind. And uh, I think that's a, that's one of my, that's my favorite uh, Kurt Vonnegut um, novel, by the way. I think it just has such, there's a lot of pain and everything, but there's so much sweetness in that one. I, I just, I just was drawn to it. I was I was just talking to a visitor from Buffalo today who um, was talking about how Kurt Vonnegut, his ability to talk about uh, broken people, people who are hurting in such a forgiving and affectionate and um, yeah, yeah, that whole novel, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, he talks about people who are in pain and just a, a person who makes a very admirable attempt to help, even mm -hmm. if it's, you know, imperfect in nature. Robert and Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here today on the VonaCast. To learn more about the upcoming West Montgomery documentary, please visit. I'm going to have uh, Kevin tell us that. <laughs> uh, you can visit jukeboxerpro.com. That's J-U-K-E-B-O-X-E-R-P-R-O.com. And that's just uh, the website from the company. That and But on the, on the homepage is... Uh, you see Wes's fingers on a guitar, then you see a picture of Wes, and then a couple of shots of us doing interviews with uh, some local musicians like uh, uh, Rob Dixon and Everett Green. So uh, that uh, that's how you can learn a little bit more, um, and there's an email address there if you have any questions. 
And Robert and I would probably also recommend a really fun but kind of geeky Facebook page called um, West Montgomery Research. Yes. It's on Facebook. And West Montgomery Research is for people who want to get down into the weeds about where he was on March 13th, 1964, and who was in his band, and, <laughs> and you know, who, and, you know, which guitar was he playing with which amp and all that kind of stuff. It's for just total geeks, but uh, it's, it's fun and it's mostly good spirit and, uh, and you learn some stuff there. Man, jazz fans and baseball fans have so much in common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The two great American art forms. Um, all right. Until next time, Vanagillians, stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials for more exciting episodes coming soon. Thanks for listening to the Vonicast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Robert Montgomery and Kevin Finch. To see and hear more from them, head to jukeboxerpro.com and the West Montgomery Research Facebook page. Stay tuned to kvml.org and our socials at Vonnegut Library for information on all our events, including new episodes of the Vonnegut coming soon. The Vonnegut is a co-production by the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library and WQRT Indianapolis. Special thanks to our guests, Robert Montgomery and Kevin Finch. The Vonnegut is produced by Fiona Duffy and Drew DeSimone. Audio mix and editing by Nick Corey. Cover art by Rusiak Pivatsian. Episodes of the Vonicast and all other KVML programming can be found on kvml.org and our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Vonnegut Library.